that's because Death House was designed to introduce some people at the table who were new to D&D to D&D in a controlled environment starting at level one, moving through to level three. That is what the module was for. Or it's for experienced players and you don't pull your punches. Or your and you drop them, or your brooms, or your brooms, and you drop them in at level one and laugh as they go. Crap, level one is really hard, which we've said like a hundred times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Level one sucks. Yes, indeed. So, are we starting there? Or do we want to? Do yeah, we might as well. Opening? Welcome back, dear listener, to the Curse of Strad campaign diary. We're going to be looking at uh, obviously the next events of the party, but we're also going to take a little bit of a minute to discuss some of the character builds and how our players and how we as DMs kind of approach building characters particularly when you are looking at trying to fit your character into the party. What does the party need? What is my, What do I want to do as a player? And then from the DM perspective, what do I need so that the party isn't only capable of doing one thing? Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. The listener should probably be aware that I'm incapable of recording any of these without some sort of brown liquid in my hand this morning. It is coffee. <laughs> it isn't always. Of course. <laughs> well... You brought up an interesting point just now that I want to zoom in on. When you asked me to join the party, I know I was one of the later ads, and I'm trying to think of how fleshed out you had or how far along you were in the character creation process that you knew, okay, we have a wizard, we have a cleric, we have two paladins. Well, I knew we were going to have a wizard because the wizard's my wife. Right. So that was pretty figured out. I wasn't sure what everybody else was doing yet. Okay. So I, I added everybody to the campaign at the same time and informed everybody of it at the same time. It took me a little while to make the decisions on who was going to be asked to join. Right. But everybody essentially got the the invite at the same time. So you were coming to the table right about where everyone else was. And I kind of expected you to take the striker route just because I hadn't seen you play that yet. And I know that you had expressed some interest of it. Well, mainly because... And I've heard about yeah. the wizard. Well, I had got, I wanted to play a character, and this is like, I feel like this is also, I feel like this is something you do as an actor. You want to do something you haven't done yet, or something you haven't done recently. Yeah. So given I had previously played a spellcaster when I first played in 4th edition, and we were coming off of our Star Wars Fate Core sessions where I had played... Effectively a paladin. A big, burly character who constitution would be his main uh, skill in... Maybe a monk. You didn't use weapons. True. A really, really beefy monk. Yeah, that's fair. But still, a high high hitch, hit point, yeah, immovable rock. Mm-hmm. So this time around, it was like, well, let's do a character that's not predicated on spellcasting, and let's do a character that's not predicated on size, but rather speed. You know, knowing these things, that kind of left you with me knowing that you had two options. Rogue and Monk. Yeah. Rogue, Monk, maybe Ranger. You had two good options and two lesser good options, Ranger and Fighter being the lesser. Those being like your most martial classes. Mm-hmm. Because everybody else, I mean, all the other martial, even rangers to an extent, you start getting into some of the spell casting again. Yeah. Because rangers do have spells. And mm-hmm. man, rangers were so much more overpowered in 4th edition than they are in 5th edition. Well, and they got some patches in 5th. Like, They've as gotten a few as They've things have better. come out. Yeah. But really, they still feel so nerfed. Because I remember playing <laughs> my very first character, Thorn, was a ranger for 4th edition. And 4th edition was heavily scaled for combat, it felt like. But there were tons of minion fights. And by, I think, fourth level, I had an ability called Rapid Fire or Rapid Shot or something like that Mm -hmm. where I could target every creature I could see within range of my bow once per turn. Goodness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just just let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. That meant in a minion fight, I could hit 
everyone and and at least as long as I hit them, the minion's gone. Right, they're yeah, one HP like, creature. Mm-hmm. So it made minion. It made the DM that I was playing with, uh, Ian. Who I'm pretty sure we've talked about before. Made him go, man. I can't throw minion fights at you guys anymore because your ranger just kills them all. And also, like, can we talk about the fact that there were 72 minions on the field and I just killed 50 of them in six less than six seconds? Do you understand how fast that is? Like modern machine guns don't fire that fast. That is an arrow per. <laughs> okay, so oh my goodness, no, yeah, no, no, so no! Fourth it's, edition, it's fourth edition was oh ridiculous. God. Loved it, loved it being introduced to D anD D that way. But fourth edition was ridiculous. Fifth edition is a vast improvement. However, yeah, you, you knowing what you wanted to do when you were coming to the table, I knew that you were probably going to take the striker, a, a, a route of a striker. I knew that. Austin right out the gate was super interested in Paladin because he'd heard stories about Tancred. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was really intrigued. Tancred was a character I played also with Ian some time ago before before Sam was born even, so at least four years ago at this point. I wasn't sure what Jeremy was going to do. Jeremy kicked around a lot of ideas for a while. Um, and then I knew the wizard. So I knew we, we had it. I knew for sure, guaranteed, we had at least one Paladin and one wizard. And then I kind of assumed Catherine would take something healy and so the cleric came as no surprise and then jeremy was really the only wild card paladin warlock multi-class yeah, yeah that's a wild card <laughs> like man what the heck is this surprisingly it works oh man. well, well they're both really well. based casters yeah of course but nobody had told me ahead of time because nobody knew that they were invited to the, the campaign until hey I said, here we are here here we are this is the group they knew i was planning a campaign but nobody knew who was in it yet and so then we get to building Characters and I did a lot of one-on-one work with every player to make sure their characters were built. You honestly probably got the least of my attention out the gate, and then we've gotten yeah. ch- a chance to together sit down and, and add new things to Jagger's kit since. Well, and he feels like he's kind of, in some ways, to me at least early on, on the other side of a partition because it was back when I was still building digitally, mm. and I used D and D Beyond initially to create Jagger. Right. So as a result of that. He started out fairly basic and straightforward, and we have since complicated different aspects of his kit, and I've been enjoying that process immensely. That is, I mean, for beginning players and for quick building, D&D Beyond is a really great tool. Mm-hmm. It really is. I'm never going to knock them. Yeah, no, because I did for, the same thing with the new players in my yeah, group. For the, for the digital creation is such a handy tool. But the more experience you get and the more you play, and the more you want to really specialize your character, it the more limiting it becomes, unless you're paying for a lot of content. Right. And especially as I started buying physical books, which was never really actually my intention. I just kind of started doing it. It just happens. It just happens. It's kind of it's like <laughs> you know, it's like a strange kind of addiction, I think, but that's yeah, okay. It it's it's why you've been so hesitant to get into magic. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> that's okay. I'm working on it. But as I started buying physical books, it was like, well, these players who are using digital sheets, you can't use anything that's in my book unless we're printing them out and writing on your sheet. And at that point, we might, might as well, well just use freehand. a physical yeah. sheet. And Jagger has been freehanded, I think, since level three or four. Yeah, I think we made that switch pretty Or, or rather, early since on. like it would have been level four, because we were level three for the session we're about Everybody to was digital. Yeah. Session three. Going into to level four, almost everyone got some kind of a change to their character, and everybody went to freehand sheets. Because I remember printing off a ton of extra player sheets just so we could do that. And I met, I didn't have to do it for Jeremy because he's got, he knows how to do it. Yeah. You, I didn't really have to sit down and show you how to make a sheet because you know how to do it. Yeah. But Austin, Catherine, Georgia, I had to sit down and go, here's how we build a character. 
without D&D Beyond. And here's how your character looks now. And here's the changes. So, like, I mean, Catherine got a, whole, a total domain change. She went from being a, a life domain cleric to a death domain cleric, which at first sounds like a terrible idea. But as we got into it, she makes a whole heck of a lot more sense now. Yeah. So, absolutely. But that all happened after the events of this episode, which we'll get to eventually. Yeah. Well, the other aspects of this, and there were some things you and I were talking about before we turned on the mics, Haunted One is one of the best backgrounds in the game. Yeah, and it comes with Barovia. You don't get it unless you buy Curse of Strat, either on D&D Beyond, which you can do, or in a hard copy. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Right? You can find it online, but yeah. I didn't have an appreciation for how strong it was when building the character and now kind of seeing, okay, oh, this is what it brings to the table now, having being able to uh, compare it to other backgrounds. Because oh, that was something I felt always got a little... like. This was one thing I think I wrote about this in one of our blog posts. The importance of backgrounds gets a little muddled on D&D Beyond or it's not as obvious. But then when you're creating a character freehand, you realize, oh, it's the third leg of the tripod. Yeah, this is it's actually really important. I'm looking for it in in my Curse of Strad right now. It might. There it is. Page 209, I think. Okay. Let me take a look. Obviously, you get skill proficiencies, you get language, uh, you get equipment. But then there are other options for, like, uh, personality traits, ideals, just like you would have every other background, right? But these things, especially D&D Beyond, to reference your blog post, they don't feel as important. And I think part of the problem with doing digitally is you spend so much time with your skills and with your abilities and with making sure you're combat efficient, it feels like, that you don't get to really spend a lot of time with building a character Mm -hmm. Um, and the background is for the substance of what makes character what makes your individual that you've decided to play someone who's not just two-dimensional it it adds a depth to yeah to what you're doing because one piece of advice that you hear from a lot of people in the D&D community when you're creating anything is start with the fantasy and mm-hmm. so you want to work from whatever it is you envision this character being, and the background should be as much of that process. I mean, pro- at least with the race or species, obviously the class is the primary leg of the tripod, but it should yeah. be just as important as the race, given everything it can give you. Well, I honestly, I think that the it, when you're building a character, the two most important things are your your background and your class. I think race at that point is... I, I tend to pick that last simply because you can pick a specific race to really serve the first two or to be kind of juxtapositioned against it. Actually, I think it's sometimes more interesting when you've got a noble paladin gnome. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, it gets to be more fun when the race doesn't matter as much. Yeah. You know, there's a prince of whatever, and he's a paladin, and he's a holy knight, and then he is... Three and a half feet tall, and he talks like this the entire time. Yeah, it's like, hello, my name is Prince Dangle Harper of the Gnome Caverns, and I am a holy knight of Bahamut. You know, it's like it, I'm, I'm being hype, I'm being yeah. a little bit extreme. Yeah, but that's part of the fun when D and D Beyond makes you pick your race first and then your class. So it it feels like it's turned things around, and then the back and then the background feels uh, like a side note. Mm-hmm. And since the point of D&D is to really immerse yourself in a new character and, and really role play out this person's actions, feelings, ideas, your background's going to be really important. Yeah. Because otherwise they would not be who they are. Well, and there's to focus on Jagger for a little bit and then we'll dive into yeah. the, the, the events of session four. 
he started out he was the only non-human in the party because he's a half elf he was a rogue assassin i went with a fairly basic subclass and then eventually we switched him to a homebrew subclass that has some similar mechanics and then some additional ones you and i were able to kind of take on the playground and have some fun with yeah yeah which is i mean yeah. that's the other when you get to the point where you're dming homebrew is 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 your bread and butter yeah. especially if you're not the dm anymore for for something homebrew is your bread and butter that is fair i mean initially when i was looking at his weapon kit it's like okay daggers for range short sword in one hand rapier in the other when he's fighting in close quarters and then as time has gone on between getting to put if i'm recalling it right some silver runing on the rapier yeah and having some different magical daggers it's made sense for him to very deliberately grab i'm gonna have maybe this close range weapon and this dagger for this specific combat and this specific enemy yeah, because you, the kid has gotten more interesting. You know, you're honestly almost turning into a witcher. <laughs> <laughs> Silver swords of monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, very I mean, much so. A little bit, and 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 particularly in Barovia, silver swords are for monsters. Yeah. Well, because it made it so special because when we used the runing, I've got three combats with that, and then the runing's gone. Yeah, yeah. So to, as soon as we ran into enemies that... This isn't going to help any. It's like, okay, putting the rapier away, short sword it is. And then you, I mean, we also added a magical item that gave you the ability. No, we added a tattoo mm -hmm. that gave you the ability to create daggers of various substances. Mm -hmm. That helps a lot. Your blink dagger is kind of a cool little item. Yeah. Well, well that's been the primary one, and it's also the, the only dagger in the kit that's magical that's not based on the tattoo. Exactly. And then the tattoo was... I guess it would be almost fair to call it a patch for a later session because it gave Jagger access to an adamantine weapon, which he was not going to have any other way. And yep. for that combat, he was basically going to be useless. Yep, because constructs. Because yep. <laughs> constructs. Adamantium. But yeah, so that was the tattoo. And starting off basic, I mean, it made sense. And then as we've gotten into the, the trials and tribulations and death traps that are Barovia, we've then patched and particularly when it comes to to you, you were the character that was going to need the most patch to keep up with the paladins, who really honestly have a remedy for just about anything Barovia is going to throw at them because they're doing radiant damage all the time. Mm -hmm. And almost every monster is, at the very least, not resistant to radiant damage. So, you know, when you've got a paladin who can smite every turn, practically, they're always doing true damage. Mm -hmm. And so to patch you, the wizard's fine because spellcaster magical attacks. Okay, cool. They pretty much get through as long as they hit, they get through. Yeah, same with the cleric. At that and the same too. with the cleric. Yeah. So really, it was you that needed to bridge the gap a little bit, which is why you've gotten a lot of the modifications since building. Yeah. But you wouldn't have known that when you first built Jagger. Mm -hmm. So sticking with a basic build, I think also because this is the first time you ever played a rogue, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And we had. As we talk about what our party was coming into in this session, I realized, I think I realized this relatively early on, and then we ran into a scenario where, yep, this matters. Being the half-elf of the party, he's the only one with dark vision, and we're about to fight a vampire spawn in a basement of a church. Like, yeah. old-school catacombs, there are no, no, there, torches, are no there are no, no windows, lights, no this windows. is not the cafeteria where the kids have lunch, I'm, I'm thinking back to my days at Queen of Angels, anyway, <laughs> this is an unpleasant underground situation, Jagger's the only one who can see much of anything. St. Jude, the cafeteria had no windows, it was all in the basement, it was very dark, very scary, beside the point, yeah. it became more 
apparent that Jagger was put together to be a functional rogue and to be a, an interesting character. And then certain situations arise where you go, oh, I am, I'm more effective now than my party members because of these things. But I wasn't necessarily built to be more effective. It's an odd dichotomy. You want your character to be effective, but you don't want to build your character to do one thing. Because mm-hmm. the second you do that, you're going to end up with this flat two-dimensional character and the only thing you're good at is insert answer here i heard the best explanation for this i've maybe ever heard from of course brennan lee mulligan yeah where he talked about how your character wants to solve the problem going on in the world and have the shortest adventure possible and whatever the shortest path is from where they are to getting things done and getting it done effectively and efficiently with a minimal amount of collateral damage that's the route your character wants to take you as a player <laughs> want sadistic. An, you want an interesting story woven uh-huh. across that. So you're okay <laughs> with things going off of that path and being completely straightforward and direct. And so you have that tension between your character trying to be as efficient as humanly possible and you as the player going, ah, I'm okay if this little bit of a wrinkle or a problem is in there. Which in the case of this scenario, as we left off last session, it was Jagger being completely okay with no one being left alive when the party left the church. Yeah. So let's uh, let's dive into that, shall we? The event that the party was playing through in the village of Barovia is called uh, Funeral for the Burgomaster. So effectively, uh, the party meets Irina Koliana and Ismark. I wanted to say Istvan, and I'm like, that's not right, Stephen. That's the, that's the Hungarian version of your own name, you genius. Okay. <laughs> it is. That's, that's what it is. That's beside the point. So you, the party's playing through the event in the village of Barovia called the funeral for the Burgomaster. So they met Ismark and they met Irina, Ismark and Irina, uh, and treat the party to bury their father, their father. It is Ismark's biological father. It's Irina's foster father. He was the Burgomaster of the village of Barovia. So they have to take the body down the street to the church. They talk to Donovic. Donovic was slightly mad priest and they bury, they bury the Burgomaster. Kolyan. And so, that all happens at the very end of that we have a conversation with Strad which I think we covered last time yeah and Donovic has already gone back into the church by the time the conversation with Strad is happening so the party finishes talking to Strad that's when Strad whammied Catherine mm-hmm. Catherine of course doesn't know that yet so that is that's what that's what Catherine was charmed that whole time yeah oh which we, we also discussed I remember talking about that but mm-hmm. so then we went back into the church the church itself is coming apart at the seams the entire sanctuary area is filled with broken pews and busted out windows, and there's nothing good. There's nothing ever good in Barovia. Particularly, there's nothing good at this church. The party can hear someone in the basement shouting about being hungry. I'm so hungry, Father. I'm starving. Feed me, Father, please. And the party doesn't know how to get to the basement yet. So, of course, what do they do? They start looting the church not really looting they're searching the church and they don't find really anything except eventually they do find the entrance to the undercroft this is where jagger's ability did become very very important because the undercroft has no lights the church's undercroft has rough hewn walls and a floor made of damp clay and earth rotting wooden pillars strain under the weight of the wooden ceiling Candlelight from the chapel above slips through the cracks, allowing you to glimpse a gaunt shape in the far corner. And that's that's it. That's the only light. So you get dim light at best. It's really like total darkness, except for certain areas. 
the fight itself, Doru is the the character in in the basement. He is Donovic's son. Strad cannot abide anything good and holy. And through searching the church and finding Donovic's some of Donovic's personal items like his books and some of his writing, you get the feeling that he was a genuinely holy, devoted priest. And so obviously that's going to piss Strad off just because he cannot cannot abide it. So Strad drove Donovic mad by turning Donovic's son, Doru, into a vampire. Donovic, who could not bring himself to kill his only son, locks Doru in the basement so that he cannot feed and hurt, and thereby hurt other people. But that's, you know, you've got a vampire with an unending infernal hunger locked away where they cannot eat. So he's in turn driving his son completely mad and himself more mad. So that's the situation that the party has walked into unknowing to them. They find the entrance to the basement, at which point, now you have to remind me, did Donovic stop you guys before you went down there? Or did you go down there without him and then come back up? I don't think he was along for the ride. He wasn't along for the ride. I just can't remember if you guys knocked him out. Because <laughs> I feel like that was disgust. Knocking yeah. him out and then killing the vampire and then waking him up and explaining. I remember two facets of this. So from there, we can make inferences, which I guess mm-hmm. is kind of fun. Like the, This is becoming... The story of this campaign is becoming its own Legend? imperfect history. <laughs> yeah, no, there there are some details that that are lost to history. Yeah, all I remember is that the priest did not interfere in the fight, and he was alive when we left the church. These are both true. I do remember those things both being true. Here's what I think happened, and I'm pretty sure this is what happened. And if we have another player on this podcast later who actually remembers how that they went can down, correct us. yes. Here's what I'm pretty sure happened, dear listener. You know, the DM who didn't take notes. I should probably fix that. The party finds the entrance to the basement, and Donovic tries to stop them. The party argues with Donovic for a minute about the fact that that's not his son anymore, because it's it's an unholy demon that will eat him, given half a second's chance. Through the course of the argument, I'm pretty sure Jagger straight up knocked him on the back of the head with a hilt of a dagger, and knocked him out. That does sound right. (laughs) I am relatively positive that is how that interchange went especially given to jagger that would have been a compromise because he was in the we leave not alive camp so yeah that was him not killing him but also making sure he was incapacitated jagger does have a really strong kill everything sorted out later uh impulse so i'm pretty sure that's what happened so then the party goes down to this fight i need to explain vampire spawn versus vampire in D&D, true vampires have a challenge rating of 10 or higher they are really difficult to kill. And they take a fairly experienced party to handle them. The party is still all level three. Vampire spawn are like a lesser vampire. They're not quite fully realized or they're not completely possessed of all their faculties anymore. They're the minion type vampire. The ones that Buffy stakes on a regular basis. right? As opposed to like Spike mm-hmm. or Angel or Strad or Count Dracula. Like, those are full-fledged, fully realized vampires. And some of that comes from either them not being particularly great individuals, magnanimous individuals before they were a vampire, so they're just, they just aren't. And some of that is just 
it is what it is. It kind of depends on how you want to spin it. In this case, Doru maybe could have become a full vampire given time, but he's never fed. He's just been trapped in the basement this whole time. Hence Vampire Spawn. Vampire Spawn are CR5s. One CR5 creature versus five level three party members. Its advantage is that it's in dim to dark light. The party's advantage is the fact that one of its members can see him at all times. So (laughs) it wasn't as difficult of a fight as I might have liked it to be. Particularly when you've got two paladins dealing radiant damage at all times. Doru got like one or two hits, maybe. But for the most part, he just kind of got it wrecked. It's like, that's what happened. Well, because the first time you have a combat where your party truly cannot see their enemies and they're rolling with disadvantage and their enemies are rolling with advantage, I mean, that gets nasty quickly. Mm -hmm. But given we were able to rob him of that advantage, we were okay. Yeah, so it kind of came down to... I I gave him advantage because of the, the terrain. But because you could see him, you could point him out to party members, I didn't give any of the party disadvantage. So he got like... Three, two turns. I think he only got two turns because he's only got 80 something hit points. 82 hit points. So between five characters, all doing. Mm, honestly, the, I mean, the paladins were. I would say the 20, paladins are going to wreck the curve on that 20 one. 20 to 30 damage a turn, which is just stupid. Smite! Yeah. yeah, smite. So much smite. He didn't get a ton. But he's got all. Vampire Spawn are, are great minion fights. They are a CR5, so as you guys get higher, you're going to start seeing more and more Vampire Spawn. But they've got all like the classic uh, abilities of a vampire, the, just without the terror factor of the fa- of being a CR fifteen like Strad. So that fight was was pretty one sided. But it was the first time the party got a chance to actually fight a vampire. They leveled him. They left him a gray pile of ash in the middle of the floor, and then they had to go explain to his dad that they killed him. Surprisingly enough, when the cleric brought Donovic out of unconsciousness I had her I had Catherine roll a persuasion check I had her roll something to as she was explaining to Donovic I want to say it was like I wanted to say empathy check that's not a thing but like in my brain that's what I was having her roll Mm. to explain to him that Doru's soul was now at rest and he could now rest in peace and not be tormented by being a vampire any longer she rolled really high, which is unusual for her because her rolls have been <laughs> just atrocious. Not every session. Not every I session, but it feels that. like when the party needs her to roll high, it does. she doesn't. And her combat rolls are garbage, almost always. Like, really, the vampire spawn was killed by you and the paladins, and the wizard threw some fire in there, too. I'm so lucky you guys didn't Both burn the church. Both for light and for damage, yeah. Yeah, I was like so lucky you guys didn't burn the church down. I saw that happening in my the, in my mind's eye. I saw that happening. But you managed to kill it. That way, Don, when Donovic came to, after you destroyed the vampire spawn in the basement, he was relatively lucid. It's almost like Jagger knocking him on the back of the, ha- back of the head said a couple of things correct. Cognitive recalibration. Yeah, exactly. I hit you on the head really, really hard. <laughs> And so then Donovic was willing to come back to the mayor's house and bless the house, but also set Irina on the course for the party to leave the village of Brovia to go to the village of Kresk. And this puts us now on essentially a bodyguard quest. Yeah. And that's also 
a wonderful connection to the other episode we're going to record today because the Party for Adventures Assemble also ends up on a bodyguard quest. We get to follow both of these plot threads forward. Yeah. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts, especially if they play D&D. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. You can check out the SB blog and past episodes at our website, storytellingbreakdown.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and reach out to our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church with campaign diary logos provided by Michael Ganser and Jeremy Stroop. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been a Storytelling Breakdown Campaign Diary. SP Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout. <laughs> <laughs>